If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be in verses 15 through 25. And honestly, I sat there in the front just wondering if we should just call it a day. It's been a good day. You, uh, sometimes you don't know how much you just need to be together with the body of Christ to sing and to celebrate what God continues to do in your heart. And so to sing these words and to be encouraged by your voices, I didn't know how much my soul needed it. So thank you for being here. Thank you for singing joyfully to the Lord. And thank you for lending your voice with heartfelt meaning to what the Lord is at work as he does. Genesis chapter 2, we'll continue on this morning, and you know that we've been looking at this series on In the Beginning. And so as we begin today, know that everything that we'll talk about will build upon where we have been the past several weeks. We looked at God creating and crafting, and on the seventh day, he rested, giving us a pattern for our rest, right? And we talked about the the need for Sabbath rest. He hardwired this rest into our souls, We carry on, and on days one through five, God created all things, and everything was wonderful and good, and on this sixth day, he's had the creation of man, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I want to make sure we emphasize this morning and understand the importance of us, understanding that we are not some cosmic accident on the scale of accidents that happen in the cosmos. We are fearfully and wonderfully crafted and created. He breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam. We're fearfully, wonderfully made. We are not a cosmic accident at scale. He wired us for a day of rest. He's wired us wonderfully and perfectly. And so as we begin to talk about today, the creation of man and woman, we know from the very beginning how God has so ordained and created for our good and for our thriving because he is the author and the perfecter, the creator and the God. And so this morning, again, this is not an isolated message in the course of what we've done. This builds upon where we've been. We take the suppositions, the simplicity of God being creator, not cosmic accident, but God being creator. We take the reality and the simplicity that God breathed the breath of life into man. But we take the simplicity of God creating us male and female. And and so this morning, while this feels simple, We also recognize that we're living, as Carl Truman would say, in a strange new world. In Carl's book, Strange New World, he says these words. Things once regarded as obvious and unassailable virtues have in recent years become subject to vigorous criticism and even in some cases come to be seen as many more than akin to virtues than vices. Indeed, it can seem as if things that Almost everybody believed as unquestionable orthodoxy the day before yesterday that marriage is to be between one man and one woman, for example, are now regarded as heresies advocated only by the dangerous lunatic fringe. If not more than that, the generational gap that we experience today is reflected not simply in fashion and in music, but in attitudes and beliefs about some of the most basic aspects of human existence. We recognize that we are living in what feels like a strange new world. A strange new world that's come on rather quickly and suddenly. 
things that we recognize to be so obvious and central to who we've been as humans for generations and generations all of a sudden seem to be upside and on their head and seems as if those who have held on to these are, as Carl would say, would be just but a small and lunatic fringe. And so this morning, I want to give you the simplicity of God's word. But I also want us to recognize that we must be thinking critically about these issues. That we must, as moms and dads, as grandparents, as, as contributors into our society, must be careful and critical. We must be tender and compassionate. We must speak with humility and grace, but also with truth. We recognize that we are living in a strange new world that objective truth is overcome when it is most advantageous. When a human being can be relegated to simply a clump of cells by science and that same science can seem that uh, biological facts are unimportant when in the face of a feeling. We have to think critically about these issues. We have to be prepared to speak to them, to our kids and to our grandkids who are growing up being inundated with anything other than biblical, authoritative truth. To say simple things like God created male and female are becoming increasingly at odds with our culture. And so this morning, we cannot simply say that that's outrageous and disengage. We can't simply say, well, that's just dumb. They shouldn't think that way. And so we disengage. We must speak with clarity, with truth, with grace, with humility, with love, but with truth. So many of these truths are increasingly becoming at odds, marriage, gender identity, and sexuality. These are hard issues, but I believe the Bible does not speak unclearly, muddy, or convoluted. I believe God's word is clear for us in this day that we live in. Romans 12, 2 reminds us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by, by the testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is acceptable and perfect. And so that is our aim, and that is our charge this morning, to speak with clarity, to speak with truth, to speak with compassion and grace, but to speak from God's transforming truth for our life. So let's do that. In Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 25, let me read it. Follow along on the screens or in your copy of God's word. Let me read Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 25. Again, building upon where we've been and where we're going this morning. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God, it is not good for the man that he should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds and the heavens and every beast of the field. And for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with its place with flesh. And the rib the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, 
a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Let's pray together. Lord, would you teach us? Refine us and shape us by the truth of your word. Lord, help us to know your calling in our lives. Teach us, Lord, in these moments, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now, the first thing that we'll see on your outline, if you have your outline, you can take it out and follow along with me. You've got just a, full, a few blanks with plenty of space in between if anything hits you. Uh, not for where to go eat after this, but maybe there's something that would hit you nicely to put on that little list there. But number one, we move from not good to very good. You see, in Genesis chapter one, God has created everything, right? He's flinging stars into the sky. Everything good is being created. He's speaking everything wonderfully and fully. And if you remember back when we looked at the Sabbath, that God is not exhausted. He's not reaching the end of himself. He is speaking into existence all that is. And the beauty of creation is marvelously and splendidly being displayed. On day six, we see that he breathes the breath of life into mankind, and man is formed from the dust of the ground. At any point, men, if you feel like you're good and awesome, remember that you came from the dust of the ground, all right? Remember from whence you came. Came from the dust of the ground and man crafted by God and he's given work to do, right? In Genesis 15, we see that God puts man in the midst of the garden to work it, right? This is good that he is working in the midst of the garden and it's pre-fall. So I'm thinking that work is just, it is good work. It's good and helpful work. And even though man was crafted by God, while we don't see man complaining, running around saying, hey God, this isn't good. Something's not right. I don't feel good about this. We don't see man complaining, yet God recognizes that it's not good for him to be alone in this garden. See, the animals don't quite do it. The beauty of creation doesn't quite do it. See, the, the beauty of the stars and the waterfalls and the beauty of the Garden of Eden, this isn't enough. Something is still missing. So we recognize from this, God says it's not good for Adam to be alone. It's a good line, not good for man to be alone. So God says, I'll make a helper suitable fit for him. And so he causes a, dark, dark, a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he takes a rib from his side to form this woman. Matthew Henry in his great commentary would say, Eve was, taken out of Adam, was not taken out of Adam's head to top him. Neither was he taken out of Adam's feet to be trampled on by him but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. We recognize after the formation of Eve, Adam ordains, or excuse me, God ordains this as creation of male and female, and he calls it very good. Adam responds at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. If God created the Sabbath so that man would not be exhausted, God has created Eve so man would not be alone. I want to zero in for a moment on what God would mean when he would say a helper fit for him. Now, the word helper does not imply that Eve or the woman is of any less worth or value. In fact, this word helper is the same word used by God to describe himself as a helper for Israel. So it's a word that could not mean inferiority. In fact, it says that male and female were both created in the image of God. 
So this word helper surely does not mean that the woman is of any less value, worth, or less than an inferiority to man. But it's a helper that would be fit for him, or your translation may say suitable for him. So that God would craft Eve with obvious and recognizable differences, that they were not created the same. The Bible would even say that there are this helper suitable for him, and a word that one translator and commentator came up with to say maybe a helpful word would be that Eve would be a counterpartner. It's a made-up word, but I think it's a helpful word. A counterpartner. Again, not taken from his head to rule over him or his feet to be trampled on to be, but from his side to be with him. A helper, suitable, biological differences. Not inferior, not less than, but different. Science and biology would testify to the reality of God's creation of male and female. Different. A counterpartner to one another. We recognize that here in the Garden of Eden, this is pre-fall, man made in the image of God. Everything is good and right as it should be, right? They're in the garden. They have not sinned. They're made in the image of God, and they are perfectly displaying the image of God by being who they are, male and female. And here they are in the garden, good and pleasant, and everything is as it should be, right with God, perfection of relationship, no fighting, No marriage issues, no struggles, just blissfully naked in the Garden of Eden. Man and woman in tandem with one another, enjoying the fruit of the Garden of Eden together. Their differences, well obvious, but together, a counterpartner for one another. And so we move from not good and what is created, what has finished the story from not good to God calling it very good. Woman, God's creation is complete as he creates male and female made in the image of God from not good to very good. And so we move from there in this garden of Eden, this everything is good. We move from not good to very good and we conclude this, number two, the design of marriage from the beginning. We see the design of marriage from the beginning that in the garden we see God's intention of one man and one woman. This is the ordination of the institution of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, this is the first institution in the Bible as God's creation in Genesis chapter 2. Reminding us that marriage is not a human institution. It's not thought of by some culture somewhere. This is God's institution that he has set up in Genesis chapter 2. This is why we as believers hold marriage in such high esteem in the church. Because from the beginning, God hath ordained Adam and a helper for Adam and Eve. Now you may say, well, that's all good and great. That's Genesis chapter two. There's a lot of water under the bridge since Genesis chapter two. A lot of things have changed. We've progressed a lot in our culture. Jesus, after all, did not speak about some of this stuff. Genesis chapter 2 would speak about it, but again, a lot of time has passed between now and Genesis chapter 2, a lot of sin and a lot of fall. But even so, we go to God's word and we look at Mark chapter 10, where Jesus speaks clearly and edifies and holds up Genesis chapter 2 as the standard, and it is not yet passed, but it is still in application. It seems, if my memory serves me correctly, that at some point we have looked at Mark chapter 10. Anybody? Y'all remember that? 
a fun couple years, right? All right. So Mark chapter 10, not to repeat that sermon or strings of sermons, but Mark chapter 10, we remember Jesus speaking about marriage. Would he come and provide another way or would he say and clarify what has happened in Genesis chapter 2? Mark chapter 10, verse 6, but from the beginning. In the face of the Pharisees, Jesus would say, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. This is Jesus reminding us of what God has upholded in Genesis chapter 2. One man, one woman, that God did not create a multitude of Eves for man or a multitude of Adams for Eve, that God has created man and woman to be enjoined together as one flesh and the differences of their creation allow them to be one flesh together. One fleshness does not mean one sameness. It happens in our uniqueness of our creation. That Jesus would uphold what God has ordained in Genesis chapter 2, therefore. But from the beginning, God has created them, male and female. We continue on. It says, therefore, what man, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother. And he should hold fast to his wife. The word therefore, anytime we see it, we always look and see what it's. All right. Um, I know I, I'm, you know, 15 minutes in here, but I expect a, just a little bit more participation. When we see the word therefore, we always look and see what it's. Therefore. Slightly good. Okay. So we see what it's therefore. And so we look at what's come before it and we see, we see God reminding us it's not good for man to be alone. So he's given a helper fit for him. Because of all this, because man was alone, he's crafted and created woman to be a counterpartner with him. And so if Jesus says it in Mark chapter 10, and Paul is going to echo it in Ephesians chapter 5, as we see these words in Ephesians chapter 5, I want to recognize that we read them not with pride or a loss of worth or value, nor lording or domineering, not envious or dictatorial, not selfishness, but laying down our lives. So as I read Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul builds on Jesus, builds on what's happened in Genesis chapter 2, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the words, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
I want to speak for a moment to the husbands in the room. At times, Ephesians chapter 5 can be taken as a verse that you would say to your wife to lord over them or domineer over them. You cannot see anything more antithetical to what this verse is saying. That as husbands, we lay down our lives for our wife. We cherish and care for. We cleanse them in the washing of the water by the word. No one has hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Because this mystery is profound. See what it's saying, that Paul is saying this mystery of marriage shows and demonstrates Christ in the church, that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. And so husbands, how can you domineer over when the Bible calls us to serve and love and cherish and nourish and walk beside a helper fit for you to be by your side? These are difficult passages in light of the culture that we live in. And so we're reminded, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. This is your standard. This is your calling. To love your wife as Christ loved the church, as a picture of the gospel in our culture. To pick up a towel and to serve your family. To care for, to nourish, to wash your family in the water of the word to care for them richly in this world that is lobbing all sorts of attacks upon them. Lay down your life as Christ has laid down his life for the church. And so you see here, Paul, continue to say, therefore, a man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Again, all the way ringing in the echoes of Genesis chapter two, that God has created male and female. That God has so ordained marriage in the way that he has. We see the echoes of it all the way through the New Testament. We see how God has ordained it so. And so we speak with clarity, with grace, with kindness, with compassion, but our authority comes from the truth of God's word. And so this is where we leave Adam and Eve. I wish I could say Genesis chapter two, the ending of it, and they live happily ever after, right? They're naked and unashamed. They live happily ever after. All is good, all is well. But you know as well as I do, this story does not end happily ever after. It will It will indeed end happily ever after. But where we will leave them is walking into Genesis chapter three. And that's where we'll pick up in just a couple of weeks as we continue on. But let that soak for a moment in our souls. This is where we leave them. Perfection in the fall. The first marriage ceremony taking place there in the Garden of Eden. Naked and unashamed. Innocent. In perfection of creation. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you help us? Lord, thank you for how you have so given us your word. Lord, teach us in these moments to be humble, to be full of grace, that we as followers of Jesus would pick up our towel to serve and to love and to care. Lord, rid us of pride in our hearts. Teach us with humility to walk forward according to your ways.
Lord, we recognize that we're living in a strange new world. Lord, help us to engage this culture with charity, with grace, but also recognizing the authority of your word that would speak to the creator God who has created and ordained, who wants the best for us, wants our thriving, who has wired us in such a way where we recognize that you are the source of all peace, that you are the source of all comfort. And Lord, at times we can feel the disheveled nature of our culture as our culture fears further and further further from what you hath ordaineth. So help us. Help us provide a better way. Help us to demonstrate a better way holding up the ideal of what you've called us to. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.